Blog Talk Radio. of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I am your host, Amy Peikoff, and people here in the chat room are saying that they don't have any sound, they're refreshing, and they don't have any sound. So let me know if you guys can hear me. Um, Tim in the chat room is saying, who do I have to sleep with to get some sound? So um, that's interesting. I'm looking at everything here on my end, and I see that I am connected. I've got the microphone on. Okay, people can hear me. Yay, they have sound. So are you guys behind? Is Are, are you listening to me live now at this time? Or are you listening to the beginning, the music? I guess I'll get to find out as time goes on. And I guess people can always grab the podcast. So... Uh, welcome everyone. I see a number of people in the chat room. I am sorry I've been so confusing with the schedule with all of my end of semester duties plus medical appointments. My schedule has been really thrown off in, in the last several weeks. So um, yeah, people are thinking that they have me live right now. Okay, they are hearing me. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, so I think what I will be doing for kind of the foreseeable future is this time slot, the regular Friday time slot, I am anticipating that sometime in the future, based on what my teaching schedule for next year is going to be, then I'm going to maybe have to switch to a Saturday night schedule on a permanent basis. And if I do that, I will try to give you guys some warning well in advance of that. And now I've you know been pretty happy with that Saturday night lot. Last week, if you listened, I actually was able to do that show fairly well with some alcohol on board as well, which is not anything I do here on a regular basis. In fact, that was the first time that I had ever had any alcohol when doing the show, but it was for a good cause. It was for sending off Ted Cruz. So so that was nice. But yeah, I think I can handle the Saturday night when push comes to shove. But I'll be doing this this slot for the foreseeable future. I would do it maybe earlier in the day, but I don't want to conflict with Tammy Bruce. You know, sometimes I've been a guest host for Tammy Bruce, and I think that people should listen to her show and then come and listen to my show. Um, <laughs> Rob, uh, maybe everyone's a little bit behind here in the chat room. We're going to see how it is. I get people still saying that sound is cutting out and things like that. I hope we are good. Uh, so today's show... I'm doing a little bit of kind of the indulgent 
topic idea, the, some things I've been thinking about. In fact, I had thought about this abstract issue last week, before last week's show, and I ended up not picking up on it during the show because the alcohol, true to form, first of all, you know, kind of put this out of my mind, the more abstract issue, but also it caused me to lose track of the time more than I usually do because I usually have an overambitious list of program notes anyway. And by the way, you can go to don'tletitgo.com for today's program notes. That's don'tletitgo.com. You'll see the list of all the stories and things that I want to discuss. But, um, you know, I, I described to you guys last week that one Frank Sinatra lecture that I saw in which the lecturer was um, drinking a lot of whiskey during the presentation. And the more whiskey he had on board, the longer and longer and longer it took for him to make any particular point, And it rambled and rambled. And I kind of sense that that was what was going on last week as well. I just kind of suddenly the time was gone and I didn't know where it had gone. So we will pick up here on a you know, sort of an abstract look at this issue that I was thinking about in connection with last week's question. Last, last week's question, again, was should you vote for Hillary because people will erroneously attribute Trump's mistakes to capitalism and that they wouldn't do that as much with Hillary? And last week I argued on that particular issue why you might want to reconsider that, you know, issue. And I, and I didn't come down, you know, definitively in favor of doing something different, but I am still open to considering voting for Gary Johnson, for example. Uh, just this week, actually, I didn't put this story in the program notes. I didn't put it in this in the program notes. But oh, people are making fun of me in the chat room. I think it's Sean who's saying that I'm a lightweight for being affected by alcohol. I am truly a lightweight, and I discovered how much of a lightweight I was when I had that surgery in the fall. And they put the opioids, the uh, you know the the opioid painkillers in my IV, and oh, that stuff was not good for me at all. So yeah, I am definitely a lightweight. So um, going back to what I was talking about, yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking of voting Gary Johnson. Why? Uh, because it will help take away the idea that anyone who wins has a mandate. And if we're thinking that Hillary's going to win. We certainly don't want her to have a mandate. I don't want Trump to have a mandate either. So getting away from the sense of a mandate is going to help achieve gridlock. And we do need help achieving gridlock because I saw a story, as I said, I didn't put it into the program notes, unfortunately. Maybe I'll try to grab that later. But I saw a story that uh, reported the Senate released an appropriations bill that gave Obama $250 million more than he asked for. The Senate is giving Obama $250 million more than he asked for in appropriations. So the idea that you're going to have gridlock when you have a Democratic president and a Republican House and Senate is just fantasy. And I would like to do whatever we can otherwise to make it harder for whoever is in, whether it's Trump or Hillary, to pass horrible legislation. So... Um, people are still talking about drinking here in the chat room. It's easily uh, easy to get distracted by these comments here. Uh, anyway, so if you do want to talk about that issue that we discussed last week, if you have further thoughts on 
what your strategy is going to be in the fall. Of course, we have plenty of time to discuss this. We got like, what, six months or something. So you can call me and we can discuss 760-888-5817. I have some people who are hanging on the line. Some people have said that they've had to call in just to hear the show itself. But if you're doing more than just hearing the show and you would like to comment, then just hit the little one uh, button. I think that puts up the questions icon and I know that you want to talk. Just Jean in the chat room is saying that she hopes that Trump suffers a devastating loss, uh, one that would eliminate him from the political landscape. Otherwise, he could come back to life like a zombie in 2020. (sighs) Yeah, you either want him to have a devastating loss or maybe you want him to get in and squeak in barely and have maybe, you know, a Republican Congress that battles him. But, you know, uh, another headline that I just, looked at recently but I didn't include in here is the that Ryan is warming up to Trump now after saying, well, I'm not going to endorse him. I'm so good. Such garbage. There is such garbage going on. So I, I don't know what we could expect even, you know, Republican Congress providing gridlock against Trump or against Hillary. And of course, against Hillary, they don't want to have you know, they don't want to fight Hillary so much because they're going to be deemed sexist. Right now they're being deemed racist if they fight Obama. And so the propensity for gridlock is decreased. And then the same thing is going to be with respect to Hillary because of sexism, alleged sexism. So uh, like I said, so go over to don'tletitgo.com for program notes. You can see all the things that I have planned. It is quite an ambitious list. But let me just give you an idea of this general topic that I have in mind, this idea of how far you should go in accommodating another's ignorance. And again, with respect to the Trump versus Hillary issue, the ignorance that we're talking about is a failure to understand what capitalism truly is, Um, the idea that Trump is mistakenly taken as a representative of capitalism because he is a businessman. And we all know probably if you're listening to my show, that that's a mistake, that he is not a capitalist. In fact, he's a cronyist. And so many of the policy ideas that he's been talking about, I have a couple of them in the program notes for this week, so many of the policy ideas are just purely interventionism, not free market at all. They involve the government initiating force, not just you know protecting rights. Uh, in a truly capitalist society, the government would only protect individual rights and that means protecting people from the initiation of force but so much of what government does today and so much of what trump would continue to do and perhaps even increase is government initiating force against citizens in order to achieve what they think is some desirable end but little do you know you can never achieve anything desirable by initiating force against another person Uh, So Trump is not a capitalist. A capitalist would say, let's leave people free unless there's an initiation of force. Government should not be involved. Um, But that is not what Trump has in mind. We all know it, but many people don't understand that. And so part of the voting strategy that has, you know, kind of motivated the objectivist movement for a while is the idea that you know, people don't understand capitalism. They'll think Trump represents capitalism. And so when Trump goes out there and, for instance, keeps printing money because that's the way to avoid default without any consequences, he thinks, ha ha, 
Um, when he does that and it fails, then they're going to blame it on capitalism and the, and the you know the movement that we have the effort that we are undertaking to educate people about the nature of capitalism, the desirability of capitalism, that's going to be undercut because people are going to misunderstand this. Now, there's two things that are going on, of course. One of them is that people are ignorant about the nature of capitalism, that they could be taken in by this. But there is, on the left, you know, there, there's a number of people who understand what capitalism uh, cap- capitalism is. They understand that Trump isn't a capitalist. So, for example, I watched a clip of Cashing In this past weekend. Jonathan Honig, I actually see him here high in the, in the chat room. Hi, Jonathan. You are doing uh, a yeoman's work, I guess is what you would say, uh, the, the kind of challenges that Jonathan has in, in battling some of the pro-Trump uh, bias that, that you face out there on a show like Cashing In is, is hard. Uh, so, Kudos to you, Jonathan, for doing that. But th- a thing that was interesting to me is, um, oh, now I'm blanking on the name. If you want to help me, Jonathan, um, the uh, the liberal commentator on cashing in this past weekend correctly pointed out the ways in which Trump is not a conservative or not free market, not capitalist. And you know, there's plenty of people on the left who understand this. And nonetheless, those will probably be the same people who are going to come back and try to blame capitalism for the failure of Trump's policies when Trump's policies are not at all capitalist. So there's that also deliberate uh, deception on the part of the left, and it's the ignorance of some people that's going to have them be taken in by this. So this is how I was starting to think about the issue. But the reason I started to think about it more abstractly, and this is just something how my mind has always worked, is I'm always thinking of analogies. And the analogy that I thought of when I was thinking of voting for Hillary in order to avoid people misattributing you know, uh, capitalism to Trump's policies. What I thought of as an analogy is this issue that I've talked about with Jerome Brook, with Bosch Faustin, with Leonard Peikoff, uh, not really on the air, but off air sometimes for years. And it is the issue of what do you call the ideology that motivates the jihadist enemy? And many people say, call it Islam. Many people say, well, um, you know, maybe if you've really studied Islam, you understand that Islam is totalitarian, for example. And maybe you know that, but a lot of people don't know. They are ignorant. And in order to not alienate those people and actually continue to communicate to those people, you need to call it something different, this ideology. Don't call it Islam, right? Um, you want to call it Islamic totalitarianism. Uh, Or similarly, you'd say, okay, well, there are plenty of people who call themselves Muslim, but they're not really Muslim. They didn't really read the Quran. They're not what you would call fundamentalists or anything. And so if you use the term Islam, you're not going to communicate to them. You're going to alienate them. And so we need to modify our terminology, even if it's redundant, in a way, in order to communicate those people. So this is the sort of issue that I saw as analogous, right? And so then the more abstract question occurs to you. It's, you know, how far do you go in accommodating another's ignorance? Do you change the terminology that you use 
because you want to be objective in the sense of communicating to people in the context of knowledge that they have, right? Um, Do you, if you're voting, decide, well, in the effort to educate people about the true nature of capitalism, we would almost, we'd want to vote for Hillary, because we'd see that people are going to erroneously attribute Trump's mistakes to capitalism. This is the analogy that that came to mind. And there's another area that I I see this issue in, and it's not exactly an analogy this way as much, I don't think, but it's also, I think, another interesting analogy to draw. So we could talk about that. But, um, you know, I started thinking about this abstractly and then some considerations along those lines, right? So what are the considerations that you would think about in, in terms of in each particular situation, how far do you go to accommodate another's ignorance about an issue in a particular context? That's what I'm posing as an issue. Um, I've got a couple of people who have the question icon here and they want to discuss it. Um, let me just say one thing before I pick up a caller. Let's be careful about whom we're calling ignorant, because certainly not everybody is ignorant about Trump, and and certainly not all Trump supporters even are ignorant about Trump. They don't necessarily even think he's a capitalist. There's many many people who know that Trump is not a capitalist, but they support him anyway for other reasons of their own apart from that. So it's not that all Trump supporters are thinking he's therefore a capitalist and they're all ignorant about the true nature of capitalism. So I don't want to throw out the word ignorance lightly, but there are people out there who we are hoping to educate because they're part of the United States. We would like to have a society of productive people who aren't going to vote away our rights, right? Um, We'd like to educate these people. And Nonetheless, they're ignorant about the nature of capitalism, and they would be taken in by the attempts to smear capitalism by attributing Trump's failures to capitalism. So that's the the issue that I'm talking about. But I want to talk about it again kind of more abstractly and go through some factors that we might consider in answering. I'm going to go ahead and take one call. Hi. I I think it's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, it's been way too long, and I'm I'm happy to hear your voice. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Um, so yeah, regarding the issue of Hillary of of catering to ignorance, I I have some thoughts on that. But just a quick sort of more more concrete thing to point out is mm-hmm. that Hillary is regarded disdainfully by many on the left as being someone who's a shill for Wall Street. She's got right. a lot of. She's earned a lot of speaking fees in the past from uh, giving talks to people on Wall Street, and she's kind of regarded and denounced by a lot of people on the left as being um, a sort of a crony, specifically for Wall Street. Um, so she could easily be painted as someone who is, since in a lot of cases people think about capitalism concretely. And they think of it as something that is um, related to has deep ties to the finance industry. Like capitalism involves uh, like fat cat bankers making lots of money and smoking cigars and stepping on uh, the working man and stuff like that. So right. insofar as she's related, she's kind of tied 
in people's minds to Wall Street. Um, certainly, I don't have any problem with Wall Street, but if she is, then then she could it could be said. I mean, people could argue, and I think some of them would, that she um, her failings had to do with the fact that she's not as much of a purist as say Bernie Sanders. Um, right. So, right. And and uh, one of the one of the stories that I've got in the program notes this week is the one where they're saying that she's moving to the left on health care now. And, in fact, the New York Times piece sort of talks about this double front war that she's got going on. On the one hand, she's trying to look somewhat moderate for, you know, her anticipated battle with Trump, right? And then on the other hand, she's still not out of the woods with respect to Sanders, so she has to be left enough to make sure that she secures the enthusiastic Democratic nomination, right? So... Um, she's doing both of these, but they're saying that she's starting to move to the left on, on health care, for example. So I think you're right that there are people in the Democratic Party, which is partly socialist and who knows, maybe there's some communists in there, uh, that they are, you know, concerned that she's too moderate or maybe even, you know, that she is a friend of capitalism, heaven forbid, right? Right, right. It could be. Um, but to the kind of the broader point about about catering to ignorance, um, one thing that I find it useful to uh, a differentiation that I think is useful um, in this context is the difference between people who are ignorant in a, in a sort of de facto sense in that they simply lack knowledge, and that if they were presented with that knowledge, they would try to try to integrate it and understand it and might change right. their minds. And then there is a kind of ignorance which is sort of militant and almost deliberate, like I, consciously evading the truth because that doesn't conform to their feelings, basically, um, to their quote-unquote convictions, which are really just something they adhere to because of an emotional drive and not because of there are reasoned convictions. And so um, I'm kind of wondering which species of ignorance is it that we're talking about catering to? Right. Um, are, are, right. They, are these people, um, are they more like the types who will never be convincible, who are unteachable, or is it the people who um, just simply don't don't know because they haven't been presented with certain ideas? Right. And, the well, of, and, then, and then I was going to say a further question you could ask, though, is if they are to this point where they are unteachable, you know, as you put it, that they're almost don't want to be teached, teached, teached. Do you like that? Taught. Hello. I have no alcohol on board, but I said teached, taught. Um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm going to have to re-explore how you, uh, you know, create the past tense in the English language. I'll have to do a little review. So in any event, I have in mind progressive education as a cause of this. And this is one of the factors that I was thinking about this issue of are they ignorant through no fault of their own? Uh, right. You know, how do they just lack the requisite exposure to the knowledge maybe it's something that you need to gain by experience and they just haven't had enough experience. And, you know, so you have to evaluate that. And that's, you know, one factor, only one factor, but I agree. It's a, it's a very important factor. And, you know, of course, the ability to 
cater and accommodate the ignorance is, you know, the how easy it is going to be to accommodate the ignorance does depend on the distinction that you're drawing, the, the distinction between not having the knowledge or experience on the one hand versus an attitude of almost self-righteous ignorance on the other, right? Yeah. Self-righteous yeah. ignorance is a great way of putting it. And the thing is that a lot of those people, because this is a product of epistemology and not just strictly formation that people happen to be exposed to, these, these sort of militantly ignorant people or self-righteously ignorant people are produced by the school system and progressive, progressive education system in addition to the culture that they're immersed in, which is places the great importance on emotions and not on objective truth and, and critical thinking. So I'm afraid I'm really uh, not super optimistic on what the ratio of the uh, self-righteous ignorance versus just hasn't been explained to them what that ratio is. I think that it's probably, I kind of think that it's pretty high. Right, right. And I then, think that that and, balance would inform a decision about whether or not it makes sense to accommodate the ignorance. Right, exactly, because if the idea is that these people who are out there now, you're not going to really be able to educate them any better by voting in Hillary, for example, um, that, in effect, we need to buy some more time, <laughs> Um then maybe the goal is to be, you know, doing those things that are going to create gridlock versus create a learning experience for everyone, right? Because I don't, I don't want to be Venezuela. I, I have not had a chance, unfortunately, to see it yet, but Sonny Loman's got a video this week about how in Venezuela it's getting so bad that people are eating their pets. Oh, my uh, God. Oh I, I, th- God. I, th- I think, actually, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you more honestly – I haven't watched the video yet in part because I have been busy, but in part because when I first saw it, I was so revolted by the idea that it's like I almost didn't want to even see Sunny, who I I love Sunny. I didn't even want to see her talk about this topic because it's so disgusting. And um, I'm going to have to go watch it and and face the music, so to speak. But you and I know we we don't want to be there. And... um, you know, do we really want to vote in someone who would bring us more quickly to that state? Now, I don't know that, that Trump would do it any less quickly, but mm-hmm. I would maybe rather vote for a Johnson in this case. So we'll see. That might be a good strategy. Just one more quick point, and then I'll, I'll let you go because mm-hmm. I know you got other calls. Um, one thing that I read in a book called Aristotle's Children, and it's about, uh, as the name would suggest, of the waking up of the West from the Middle and Dark Ages after the discovery of Aristotle. And also it kind of starts with how Aristotle fell sort of with Western, with the collapse of Western civilization and um, what led into the Dark Ages. But mm-hmm. the central point that this author made is people tend to turn to Aristotle at times when they feel happy and confident um, and uh, just are kind of oriented towards living on Earth and believe, have the emotional conviction that they can achieve their values. And they turn to Plato or away from Aristotle when the opposite is the case. And I've heard mm-hmm. objectivists say things that are similar, like Letter Peacock said in the Dim Hypothesis, that Aristotle appealed to people 
who are, you know, happy, secular people who are content with life on earth and happy with life on earth, oriented in that way. Um, so that's something to consider, too, because I think that factor is very important. And so the question is, what what's going to follow from a candidate like Hillary getting elected versus Trump? I mean, is one of those going to create an atmosphere of malevolence and insecurity more than the other? I, the sad thing is, I don't know if there's much difference. Yeah, but, because uh, I think I think the malevolence and insecurity would come from different sources depending on either of them. One thing, whatever you want to say about Gary Johnson, I've I've had my complaints. Uh, he seems like a benevolent, nice person who loves the country, <laughs> right? Certainly, certainly more so than either of the other two. Uh, yes. He's definitely better. He's 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 uh, several steps, many steps above either of the other two, as far as I can tell. Right, right. So anyway, something to think about. Thank you, Debbie. It is wonderful to hear from you, and um, we'll, we'll catch up soon. I hope things are going well. Okay. Cool. Um, I do have another call. I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Hi, who's this? You're on the air. Hi, this is uh, Dan. Uh, I'm a. Uh, I've called at least once or twice, but not in a while. And, uh, no, I just. I, I wanted do to remember. talk about. Okay. Yeah. I, well, thank you. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, the, uh, you know, who to vote for and 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 things like that, and necessarily why. I, I was afraid I missed this conversation after listening to last week's uh, talk on the podcast. Yeah, this this is going to um, be going we, on, you know, up through November as far as I'm concerned. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not necessarily aware of how these, these conversations go. Sometimes we cover for a while and sometimes we don't. Um, but believe it or not, uh, we were talking about this about four years ago, and I, I wanted to call in then, and it was just too late. Um, and I had to wait another four years. <laughs> I've been giving this a lot of I've been giving this a lot of thought, obviously, and um, and I think at, at the the focusing on who who's who's ignorant of what or who who knows what about capitalism, who's going to be influenced by what damage by what candidate. I think it's we're trying to be too smart about it. In my opinion, it's it's too focused on what others are doing and what they're thinking instead of like what it is that you want to support. And I remember from it, it might have been. You might have said it recently, but Leonard's perspective, where you vote for the guy that's going to postpone death as long as possible. Like they're both bad choices, but who's going to give you the most time to educate everybody? And that, you know, that makes sense. But I was just thinking that might that might be too simple of a perspective. Um, sort of both cases where you're trying to focus on either others and what they're thinking or postpone death the lo- longest. I think what they boil down to is, is you demonstrate to candidates generally, uh, whoever's running, that you have no limit for your support so long as you have a choice. And so long as, uh, you know, there, there is a lesser evil. And um, I actually did a, a study on my, for graduate course uh, that our voting system systematically creates these choices of two evils, you know, as long as there's a lesser one. It's systematically advantageous towards candidates who lack integrity. Um, how else mm-hmm. will they be able to pool the, the voter support together and compromise otherwise? Like the ones that end up compromising, they, they've found that they have an advantage of collecting voters. Right. And so basically it's on what, what, what topics or what things of interest towards the populace, according to at least their polls or their, 
whatever sensors they have out there will get the most votes. And so my, I was thinking, what do you do about that in the face of all this? And what I, you know, what I think, you know, boils down to is, is you should really focus on who or what it is that you're willing to support. And for me, um, it, it seems pretty simple. What will further individual rights? What will further liberty? And so I don't look at it as Trump versus Hillary. I look at it as Trump and Hillary versus individual rights. And so, you know, I, I will not be casting a vote for a single candidate that isn't going to further individual rights, not even like not damage them, just won't even further them. I, I don't I don't feel like I can support them. Um, and both candidates happen to be enemies of individual rights, including Trump. So I, I just I won't be able to cast a vote for either one of them. And. You know, well, but I mean, I, you you do you do have to think about, and I'm you know going to play devil's advocate a little bit here because uh, I think that's the right thing to do with a complex issue like this. But also, I'm uh, you know honestly, I'm just working through this. Um, you have to think about furthering individual rights via education, so it's going to be indirect, right? So you're not yes. always going to go for the direct political furthering or the direct, you know, legal in a court of law furthering or, or whatever, there there might be reasons that you don't want to take the direct route in a certain situation. This election, I mean, we've seen the two candidates come together. In fact, there's been all these jokes about how Trump and Bernie Sanders are basically the same candidate, much less Hillary Clinton, right? So, you know, the, this idea that they're they're so close together that we don't really have any alternative anymore. So, the, you know, that you could make people happy by having an alternative. But I've seen objectivists in the past, you know, uh, like Leonard Peikoff. I remember he would talk about carry haters for carry. And I did actually talk to him last <laughs> week. I, I, I got to catch up with, with Leonard last week, and it was a really cool conversation. But I didn't end up talking politics with him, which is uh, – and I'm really curious to know if he would do Hillary haters for Hillary this time around. So I'm hoping to to hear him talk about that um, because he has. He's done Carrie haters for Carrie in the past, and it, it it's very context-dependent. Now, one thing you could think of is you'd say, okay, well, uh, the mere fact – that the educational mission is going to be made a bit harder if we've got Trump in office versus Hillary, if you don't vote for Hillary, for example. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the full reason to vote for Hillary, right? Uh, there's a lot of different factors. And, you know, like I said, in terms of you know catering to the ignorance of these people at all, you know, you want to think about why they're ignorant, uh, you, but you do also want to think about, you know, what are the consequences of the accommodation that you're making? Is the accommodation that you're making a sacrifice in the particular context that we have? So right now, you vote for Hillary. There's a couple things that are going on. One is you have the horrible experience of voting for Hillary Clinton, right? Whereas if I vote for Gary Johnson, right. I'm like, okay, well, I wish it'd be somebody kind of better, but he's a nice guy and at least I don't have to go throw up afterwards. So, you know, the actual experience of voting for the person is something, but then also, you know, what are the consequences? Are we going to be moving more quickly towards Venezuela? Certainly if, even if we have a Republican house and Senate, we can't, you know, can't count on gridlock. That's what we're seeing under Obama. So, So, you know, is it a sacrifice? There's a couple of points I'd like to make. And basically, you know, it's, 
So if let's say you, my, I guess my father had this point. You vote for the other guy to punish the Republicans because they picked another bad candidate, and that'd be great if communication was 100% and that information got across and they got they got the point. Right. But looking at historical context, what tends to happen, especially when third parties get big enough, is they don't necessarily look at why they the uh, why voters are voting what way they're voting. They look at the kind of the platform and what is and so. When third parties get big enough, you, you find that either the Democrats or the, the Republicans or whatever happens to be the dominant two parties they end up absorbing or assimilating those ideas into those platforms. And mm-hmm. so my fear is, as you start supporting Hillary, that that information doesn't get and what that information doesn't get communicated effectively. And all the Republicans learn is that there's more voters over there. Great. Now we have to steal something off their platform to increase our voter base. And it ends up accelerating us towards the left because they're trying to get more votes and they found that more people are going towards Hillary and they have the platform that, that was winning. And so, you know, my, my perspective is if you just go and don't vote for either one of them and cast your vote, either third party or independent, or you don't vote at all, at least they're tracking, okay, there's something that isn't in either platform that's exciting anybody. You know, you know, that's what, what is it that we need to do to gain more votes? And so, you know, yes, you, you vote Hillary in, you avoid the Donald Trump debacle and people being confused royally about what capitalism is and how it's destroying or quote unquote destroying or quote unquote capitalism is destroying. When really, like, I, I don't think that, that that you can succeed in making that, that an effective, at least throughout the population, effective, like, effectively communicated to everybody that needs to, right. that needs to hear it. So, you know, my perspective, at least historically, do the, do the third party thing as best you can, boost the third party as much as possible that shares, you know, your, what you want in a platform, and then maybe one of the two parties will end up absorbing it. I, I don't, other than that, I don't really know what else control you have. Um, right, exactly. No, I know. And so, so you're also considering voting outside the grid, so to speak, or maybe not voting at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, outside the grid. I I I don't think I can support for I I cannot support a candidate who is an enemy of of individual rights. So I'll be casting my vote towards the most popular candidate or maybe it'd be a party that does support individual rights. Yeah, no. When you were making your point about the communication actually received, you know, getting received by the intended recipient, right? You're talking about the party itself you know, that you want to, for instance, send a message to the Republican Party by voting for the Democrat or, or vice versa. I'm sure some Democrats right. do this. Those, it's the guys that do the strategies and the setup that, that sort of sort of guide everything. So, I mean, that's yeah. just what I'm thinking. And maybe the voters themselves, too. Well, so, so I mean, and then this is the thing, right? Some people are talking about educating the voters, and you're talking about educating people who are involved actually in the in the parties or in strategy and things like that. I think the people who are involved in parties and strategy are less likely to actually be ignorant about the nature of capitalism. And it's not clear that those people are going to be benefited by whatever message, like you said, you know, right? They're not going to be benefited by the message of voting for Hillary, you know, to avoid the evils of you know, socialism to be attributed to capitalism, for example, right? That that message is not going to get to right. the strategists. The strategists, I don't think, are as likely to be confused. So the the people that you'd seem to be trying to reach, or at least 
the people whose ignorance you're accommodating for is not them. The people whose ignorance you're accommodating for, if you do this, is the voters, you know, some general part of the public. And then the question is, is the message going to even get to them? And that goes back to the point that Debbie was making about, are these people really open to being educated in the first place? It are, you know, or if they are open, the ones who are open, could you edu- educate them nearly as effectively by having a continuous campaign in which you point out that what Trump is doing is not capitalist and here's why, you know, assuming that Trump has a chance of winning, which I don't know, right? Right. I like your point. I like your point. And I guess you said you said it's your dad's point about whether the communication is actually going to be put through to uh, the intended recipient. His, my dad's point was to vote Democrat to punish the Republicans for picking another bad candidate. So your vote would count twice against them. My right. point was, well, that would be great if it was communicated effectively. But I, I don't know how you succeed in that, especially you know, someone like me and my dad who's not, like, big or, you know, have any pointed connections that has far-reaching consequences, you know. So we're just two guys, you know, making a living. So I think, yeah, well, uh, two two guys making a living is better off than so much of the world right now. But, um, true. but no, kudos, kudos to you for that point because I, I think it's, it's an important thing. You know, is the message actually going to get across if you yeah. make – the particular accommodation, and that's that's part of the you know wrapped up in my other question, yeah. which was you know what it, what are the consequences? One of the consequences I think of is is uh, Venezuela and having to eat your pets, right? You know, I, I put Hillary under that, but um, yeah. not just that. You know, no, are I, you? I really think the lesson that they're going to pick up is that they need to change their platform to pick up more votes. Oh, more votes went Democrat. Great. Now we need to slide closer to socialism so that we can save capitalism, so we can have a candidate that's more closely aligned with cap. It's just, it's a mess. I don't, I don't think that. Honestly, I, I don't think that there's much we can do in the next ten years. And Ted was our best shot. So maybe if he uh, continues, and maybe that, maybe maybe next four years. I don't know. Right. Right. And and that's my thinking too. The last I heard, he filed for re-election in the Senate, and my hope, uh, what I put out there actually on, on Facebook, there was a story about you know Hillary moving to the left with respect to health care, and it reminded me of the days of Hillary care, and it reminded me, did, I don't know how old you are, Dan, but did you hear about Phil Graham's opposition, Senator Phil Graham's opposition to Hillary care? No, I... I did not hear that. So, I'm so a little guy, younger than that. It was awesome. And, and I don't know, because it's not that at the time that I was following politics a ton or anything, I guess I guess Hillary Care got everybody pretty exercised, so to speak, um, you know, where they were very uh, interested in making sure that this didn't pass. So probably I was watching some. But he's on the floor of the Senate, Phil Graham. And the context is that there's this huge behemoth legislation, Hillary Care, huge sheaf of paper, right? And she delivers it to everybody at the last minute, right? And and they're supposed to absorb, take this all in, and then get on the Senate floor and debate it because they're going to have to vote on it in five minutes or something. Not really, but maybe a day or two. And so true to form, right, Hillary gives this to everybody with no page numbers. 
So imagine this huge stack of paper and it's a piece of proposed legislation and it doesn't have page numbers and you're supposed to discuss it That's intelligently. That's your MO, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Print and, off and her I, records yeah, and give, hand yeah. it over. Yeah, she handed over all those emails actually like printed on pieces of paper where you wouldn't have them text searchable. It just it kind of, you know, puts a kink in the ability to uh to evaluate. But oh, it's transparent, no, these, right? These it's, guys do not want these guys don't want people to evaluate that they're they're against the mind and what people view as in their self-interest. They're absolutely against it. I mean, they, what they do systematically to keep people in the dark is is really just evidence of that so I mean, I don't. Right. I don't right. There is no good choices, and so yeah, like so, what needs to happen, like you said, you need to educate people. What you're trying to do is get a certain critical mass of people who have influence in the government, so voters, to eventually vote for healthy candidates. You know, for at least for human beings, healthy in the sense that they're supporting of individual rights and human flourishing. And that that's one way to do it. You can educate people. I mean, you could always do what our founders didn't find a whole new country, but I mean, there's not much real estate anymore or for, for, you know, fresh new countries. I mean, everything is more or less established over the entire globe or, you, you know, you everybody could, you could succeed. I mean, those a, are your options. Everybody can go to a country with a small population and then become a majority or something. We'll, we'll have to, We'll have to figure out. So let me let me finish the Phil Graham story because I think you'll be impressed at, at what he did. So okay. so imagine imagine this huge sheaf of Hillary Care is is dropped on your lap in you know the eleventh hour, and so what he did is you know he and his staff went through it and the questions that he wanted to answer were, are there contrary to Hillary's assertions, are there new taxes and penalties to be imposed on people or doctors or anybody else? in this huge piece of legislation. She said, oh, no, no penalties, no taxes, right? So he puts the whole thing. He's on the floor of the Senate, right, making his speech. He puts the whole chunk of paper on a scale, uh, you know, a, a scale for determining the weight of the paper. And he says, oh, oh I remember hearing yeah. that. Oh, this yes. is great. It, it is awesome. So he says, okay, if you put the whole thing there, it's like X pounds, however many ounces, or however much it weighs, right? <laughs> and then he says... Using that as the metric for pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hillary didn't give us any page numbers, but if you take off X ounces of paper, you know, go down to it weighs so-and-so, then there is the first tax. And then if you go down X number of ounces, here is the penalty where they're going to throw doctors in jail. And here, you know, and he goes through wow. and he tells... And it was so effective. And in my mind, a person I could see doing this for sure, and it just happens to come from Texas as well, is, is Ted Cruz. And yeah. it would be, you know, so that's that's the long way around to say, yes, if Ted Cruz is in the Senate, he could be fighting the good fight on our behalf and then maybe have another chance in 2020. Texas, in a lot of sense, senses, in a lot of ways, is our last hope. And I heard from Mark Levin that that state's turning purple, which is very concerning. Yeah, I think if they take if they take Texas, Austin, that's everything. Austin Austin just voted to put a stranglehold on Uber, if I recall correctly. It's getting a little bit ugly. Yeah, uh, it is. So thank you, Dan, uh, you, for calling, yeah. and and I, I look forward to discussing this issue with you as we get closer to the election. Actually, thank you for taking my call. Love your show. Great. Thanks very much. Take care. 
Okay, I do have more callers, so I'm going to go ahead and keep grabbing them. And I'm, do, I'm hoping I'm going to get through all my points, but we'll see what happens. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Bosch. Bosch, welcome. How are you? Very good, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. Um, yeah, good, so... Good show. It, I mean, I'm glad you've got these awesome callers so far because they're adding... And, you know, the, the perfect presentation is when the people call... They have their own points, but it also ties into the points that you want to make, so you can kind of get both done at the same time. So, so far, I'm having this right. wonderful energy. Um, so, uh, what, what was what was your kind of thoughts on this issue? Well, it's always the idea about you know when people basically withhold the truth or or finagle it a certain way or or well, you know, it's it's a kind of condescension towards others and mm-hmm. people at large, especially people who are influential politicians, uh, commentators. And I'm just tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of seeing people pay tribute to it, to, to ignorance in that way, especially at the time, because, you know, the only reason why, like, a Trump and a Hillary are where they are is because truth has become beside the point in a lot of ways. It doesn't matter what happens with their email, you know, with a case against her. It doesn't matter that Trump lies every single day, that he's a crony, that he's a hack, that he's a – it doesn't matter. Right. He's, still on, right. he's still on top. What matters so let me, is getting, you know – let me let me play devil's advocate to to your side of it. And actually, it's, I think I'm I keep playing devil's advocate on this side of it a little bit, because um, you know really I am kind of leaning toward the let's not make the accommodation in this case. Let's not vote for Hillary. That's what I've been leaning toward. But let's let's play devil's advocate here. So, um, and it's not <laughs> it's not necessarily devil's advocate either. But think think about this: the the educational mission, right? The the being able to make sure that capitalism is not misrepresented to people whom we'd like to reach, that mission does require taking into account the context of the people that you're trying to reach. So, you know, if you just walk up and you start, suppose you've come up with a new term. Nobody's ever heard it before. It's just a new term, but you're, you've defined it. It is a perfect new concept that you alone have come up with, and it is the perfect concept used to communicate a particular point on an issue or whatever, right? Nonetheless, you can't, you can't use it to an audience who has never heard that concept. right? So there is a sense in which you have to cater but you can. But, but to you ignorance. Can in order to achieve objectivity, right? But you can use that term. If you know it's perfect, then you are the perfect advocate to push for that term, make the argument for that term, and counter all the lies. Because the fact is, especially when it comes to right, right now, politics, when it comes to war, when it comes to you know what Islam is and isn't, these are crucially important matters, and the truth is the only thing that can get people to actually identify them for what they are. Otherwise, we will still you know, cater to this ignorance pay tribute to this ignorance at our expense. And I'm sick of it. Okay. I'm absolutely sick of it. And also what it does is it also it keeps you from reaching the good, honest people who are dying to hear the truth, who need to hear the truth, who haven't heard the truth, who in, in some ways don't even know what the hell it is, and especially the, you know, the, young, the, the young people who voted for Obama. And, and, and then a few years later, they realize how bad he is. And, you know, they needed to hear the truth, and they didn't. And the, the only reason why Obama made it into a first and second term is because the truth did not matter. And right. everyone knows the truth when they hear it, especially those who, who deny it, especially those who don't want to hear it. They know it. And, you know, there's also these, these subtle little things like, you know, you got, right now you have the left media and you have the right media, and they're both propagandists. 
you know, you got Kennedy and, and Bill O'Reilly. They are for Trump. They will not say certain things about Trump to make him look good. And the worst, most subtle way I've seen of that being done is Rush Limbaugh. When he brings up stories like right. when Trump tried to smear Ted Cruz and said that his father was somehow associated with the assassination of Kennedy and says nothing about it. He doesn't even judge Trump he just, for doing that. He doesn't even say that is reprehensible. He just says it. And he says almost with almost a little chuckle almost. It's like he's fine with Trump lying his ass off. And he, right. he is fine with not even saying that. So yeah, that's, that right. also now, led to. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, it, there's a, there's a thought in, in what you, that you have yeah. uh, communicated here that I was going to try to get across. One of the things that I was thinking about while you were talking it is this issue you were talking about, basically, you're sick of this, that it's important to communicate the truth. And I, w- I was thinking about the people whom you're trying to reach. And, and this actually does tie into one of the questions that I had, one of the considerations that I've listed on my own notes about, you know, how do we answer this question? And one of them is, are these people of value to you? Um, you know, are these people or maybe the actions that they take as a result of, a, of their ignorance a threat to your values? These are part of the considerations. But the, the part of the valuing, these people being a value to you, these ignorant people, um, maybe they're not. And maybe the thing we need to focus on more are the people who are either not ignorant, so to speak, or are in the category that Debbie earlier was talking about. They are somewhat ignorant or, you know, very, very innocently ignorant, but very eager to learn or, or hear the truth. And maybe those are the people that we need to worry about reaching more, right? Well, you know what? More, on a right? one-on-one basis, yes. On a one-on-one basis, Let me finish the thought. Let me finish the thought. So um, the, the, the issue is that people are hungry for the truth. They're hungry to see somebody standing up for the truth. And this is kind of one of the reasons that I've argued that it was valuable for Ted Cruz to be on the floor of the Senate doing his not really filibuster in behalf of Obamacare, you know, I mean, to try to defund Obamacare, even though it had absolutely no chance of succeeding because there's this value of just seeing out in the world somebody acting on behalf of the the truth, on behalf of principle. And if the whole thing all the time is, okay, you know, let's hold our nose and vote for the you know, lesser of two evils yeah. in the context. Let's vote for somebody bad like Hillary. Um, there's um, there's just kind of a, a yucky <laughs> feeling to this, and, and there's yes. a, a lack. Of, so, so the idea of of standing up for the truth, you know, in insofar as you can do that and still communicate, actually get the the communication across. I agree. If you can do it, it it's a value. In terms of those uh, ignorant being a value, you know, they shouldn't be valued. You know, it's one-on-one on, on that point. In your personal life, you're not going to really be around ignorant people. You wouldn't want to be around them. You wouldn't want to convince them. You know, you wouldn't. But if you are a spokesman, if you're a commentator, if you're a radio host, if you're a politician, if you want to reach. Because you don't know who's in the audience. There, there are people who are ignorant. There are people who don't understand. And they're listening anyways. They're just curious or whatever. You still want to tell the truth and, you know, hopefully – you know they can come across and understand it, and it's worthwhile to them. But what I'm saying is, like, in terms of people around you, yes, you don't want to be around certain people. They don't, they're not a value to. But again, as a commentator, you want to really send out because you don't know exactly who's out there. 
So you want to send out the truth as you know it, as you see it, and that's it, without accommodating because you don't you don't know exactly what's going on. You got people who are completely yeah. Now, uh, now smart. let me let me suggest right. So so the accommodation that you might make in a certain context and, and take your uh, you know favorite issue, the issue of using the terminology Islam for the enemy's ideology, or even you you've said in the past I think jihadism or jihad, right? So sure, absolutely. It, it, at least in in those circumstances, you're not saying anything false, right? You're you're telling the truth. But what you might need to do is say, I understand that people don't really understand the true nature of this. Sure. But I'm telling sure. you that if, if you try to learn more, then you'll see that it really is this, and Absolutely. here's why. So you do That's have part to, of the communication. You do have to account for the context of your yes. audience. But you ultimately have to tell the truth, and that's the whole thing. If, 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 if I know people out there, people that I admire, who say, look, I understand the context here. I know some people use these terms, these terms, but if you study it, as I have, you will come to the conclusion of this, and here's why, and so on and so on. It's a little more, you know, to a little more, it takes a little more time. It takes a little more patience. But in the end, you have to tell what it actually is instead of withhold that. In, in, instead of withhold the word, the, the fact that it is Islam and, and the, the, the ideology that motivates the enemy, and even when they when, when there are good terms like uh, the late uh, John David Lewis um, said, "State Islam," which was not bad. Mm-hmm. I've even right. used organized Islam, which includes ISIS, includes mosques, includes Muslim organizations, and that's not bad. But in the end, the ideology that motivates, and again, specifically the ideology that motivates is Islam. And if you're going to say everything else and that's good. If you're going to leave that part out, you've undercut the whole argument, the way, the way right. I see it. You want to right. build it up. You want to understand, okay, this is why people are doing this, and I understand that. You know, people, but in the end, this is it. So if you okay, so, that, so, totally fine. So let me, let me bring you back to the, you know, the an- analogous issue that gave rise to this whole thing. Yeah. So are, you're not going to vote for Hillary then, if I understand you correctly? Never. Okay. Okay. And, and so would you maybe vote for Johnson? Think about that. I mean, to him, it's not even a never. He's so limp. I can't even say never Johnson. You know, he's so lame. He really is. And the, the, despite the fact that, yeah, I may agree with him with some stuff. He's so bad about Iran. He was disgusting four years ago. And I don't think he changed that. And if anyone wants to check out the campaign poster I did for Johnson, it's called Gone Johnson. And it's literally a blank space. He's not okay. there. He's not there. So uh, there's no passion. I, never Johnson. I doubt it though. Uh, Trump okay. never Trump. Okay. Well, I'm I'm still thinking of potentially voting for Johnson. Something I'm going to consider. So uh, one more thing before I got to let you go. How is the auction doing? I heard you had to restart it. Yeah, it uh, it had a good jump start yesterday, right out of the gate. Uh, there are people interested clearly. There was a news story. Uh, let, Fox let, let people know, news. by the way, some people haven't heard this before. So what is it that you're auctioning? And you're auctioning on eBay, I'm, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm auctioning on eBay the uh, my winning cartoon from the Garland uh, drama Hama contest that ended up getting attacked by, by a terrorist. We almost died there, 200 people. And uh, this is a year later after the, after the attack. And uh, anyone who wants to own it, you know, anyone who wants to give whatever money. I mean, I'm, I'm on the sell for whatever someone's willing, willing to pay for. I, I do have a number in mind. I think it's worth uh, a certain amount, but you can go to eBay and uh, make your bid, make your bid and own a piece of history. I mean, there was a, 
uh, a Fox News, uh, uh, Fox 4 News, I think it's called, in, in Texas. And they had a story. It's a three-minute segment about my cartoon and about my refusal to go on their show because I, they say, uh, we want you to have, you know, we want to have you on the show. I said, will you show my cartoon? No. I said, well, that's my standard. I don't come on the show. And they mentioned it on the show. And they talked about it for three minutes in detail, the cartoon, the listing, the fact that uh, it's, you know, and basically they try to make the point that it's not important, my, my cartoon. <laughs> it's so unimportant that they had a three-minute segment on a television program. You know, you, right. you wouldn't do that. For so it's just funny. But anyway, it's, it's out there. Anyone's interested, go in there and make your bid. Yes, definitely. And and they can learn more about it, too, via your blog, because you would have the yes. link at your blog. Definitely so faustin.blogspot.com, F-A-W-S-T-I-N. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Faustin. Good luck with that. And uh, we'll talk. Let's see. Okay, so I actually do have one more caller. I'm going to try to pick that up. Jonathan Honig here in the chat room, he says, I'm sure Trump was a big supporter of Bosch's drawing in the contest, right? Yeah, not at all. And I know that Bosch has talked extensively about that. I think also that Yaron Brook did discuss that in his most recent show. Um, I'm told that Yaron Brook did an excellent commemoration of the one-year anniversary of Garland in his most recent podcast, so I would suggest checking that out. I have a couple links in my program notes, but I'm thinking I'm probably not going to get to them at this pace. So uh, you can check out the links that I've got on the program notes. I've got that segment that Bosch just talked about. He had sent me an email about that before, so I, st- I stuck it in the program notes. Um, but also listen to your own podcast. I'm going to take one more call here. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Charles. I'm from Texas. Hi, Charles. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, uh, I'm. I just basically my thinking on this is that, you know, everything Mr. Faustin said and Debbie said earlier is correct. You know about Trump. I think Trump is a sleaze. Uh, he has no relationship uh, with you know basic facts. Uh, he's a demagogue. He's orange. Like all all this kind of stuff. He's orange. <laughs> But, but the thing about him is that, you know, I'm a Trump hater for Trump. And my reasoning on this is that, uh, you know, just watching the guy all these horrible months, you know, like I was for Cruz back when nobody knew who Cruz was. Uh, I voted for him in the primaries here in the Senate years ago when he was first running. Uh, and I was always hoping Cruz would have eventually go on, win the nomination and win the presidency. But obviously that didn't pan out. Not yet, not yet. It may still someday. But watching Trump, you know, the thing about Trump is he has no principles. I mean, he's not he's he's not anything as far as I can tell. He's just Trump. You know, he's he's not a radical leftist ideologue. He's not steeped in Alinsky or in Karl Marx or or in any, you know, Noam Chomsky or any of these, you know, leftist thinkers. And likewise, he's not steeped in Ayn Rand or Hayek or anybody else. On the mm-hmm. other side, so I think the fact that the guy has no principles uh, means that it would be easier to steer him at least to the right place some of the time if he's elected. And yeah. my thinking on this is, is every time he speaks, you know, they, they talk they talk about how he's all, all of a sudden, you know, he takes a hardline position on things like on the wall, and then you know a few days later he's flexible. And right. You know, the, the thing about that is that, well, if he's always going to be flexible, we could always flex him 
try to flex him into the right position. If we have a Hillary presidency, that's never going to happen with that woman. And not only is it not going to happen with her, I mean, this is a 1990s Hillary Clinton. This would be a Hillary Clinton emboldened by a win after the Obama presidency. And if you think Obama was bad with the executive orders and the overreach and the going around the rules, I mean, she's going to be even worse. And the Republican Party is going to do nothing to stop her. There'll be no impeachment for her. They won't have the guts to do anything about it. It's going to be even worse uh, than we've had these last eight years. And our our constitutional republic is going to be corrupted uh, and degraded further than it already has been. I think under right. Trump, I think if Trump were there, also it would be easier to criticize him. Because those of us who do stand for individual rights and free market capitalism, we can come out and criticize the guy and say, yes. you know, what he's what he's doing is no good. And it'll look more legitimate because it's coming from people within his own party and who are more on his side versus if you're out there criticizing Hillary. You know, if Hillary's pushing Obamacare into single payer, for instance, or, right. or whatever she's going to do under her presidency, if you come out and say, you know, she she she. She's a betrayer of individual liberty, a free market capitalism, a free trade, into, you know, the Constitution, on and on and on. Well, they're just going to say you're a sexist, you're a bigot, right. you know, you're, right. you're, you're, a, you're a reactionary, and you're ignorant and stupid. Now, so now again, you know, all of, you know, the, the, the considerations about what if people call you sexist and stuff, this is, again, accommodating to, to ignorance if, if we take that into account, right, if we change what we do. But... I agree that, you know, probably the, the consequences of, of a Hillary and especially a Hillary elected with what she thinks is any kind of a mandate is really, really scary. And I also agree that a critique of a Trump from within his own party is going to have more credibility than us trying to, you know, do damage control against Hillary Clinton as well. So I, I agree with those things. But what I would do, I don't know that I could bring myself to vote for Trump. And and I did a whole show sort of on the lines of, of the point that you were talking about earlier, which is that Trump, a lot of people see him as an empty vessel, right, because he is so pragmatic, an empty vessel that they think they're going to be the ones to get to fill. And right. the thing, you know, again, Trump comes from a climate of cronyism, and the people who are going to try to fill this are probably going to try to fill it with stuff that continues the gravy train, so to speak. Those are going to be the ones who have the influence with him, right? So I don't this, – this idea that we're going to be able to fill it with something decent I think was probably going to fail. Um, and so what I would want to do instead, like I said, you know, my thinking of maybe voting for Johnson is – simply to take away the sense that Hillary thinks she's got any kind of a mandate and, you know, then go ahead and continue. I We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, whether Trump is the one who's going to be, you know, in the lead in the polls and all that getting closer. But as of now, I think Hillary looks like she's got a better chance. And I would just want to vote not for Trump, but to take away any sense that she's got a mandate and, and maybe give that vote to Johnson in order to achieve that goal. That's kind of my thinking. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that if Trump wins, we're going to be able to, you know, turn him into an objectivist or push him that way. What I'm saying is that, you know, is that, you know, Trump is a broken clock and we're, we're going to be able to, 
to push him in the right direction at least some of the time. I don't suspect that we're going to we're going to be pushing him to the direction most of the time or all of the time, certainly not, at least some of the time, at least maybe 10, 15, 20 percent of the time. And that's optimistic. Um, and I think that's better than Hillary Clinton. And this is the thing is that, you know, I would be on the Never Trump movement 100 percent if it was like a real movement, like if if. People like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and, you know, some of these leaders in the Republican Party actually left and took their supporters with them and started a real other movement and tried yeah. to, to build now, something see, from um, that. There's, um, there's a hint of something like that today. Apparently, Ted Cruz came out with a comment saying that those who support Trump are, in effect, going to be blameworthy for bad stuff that happens as a result. So he's, you know, continuing to criticize Trump and, and criticizing people who would support Trump. But whether it's going to turn into a movement like you're talking about, I don't know. But there's some indication. Yeah, I hope it does, because that's that's the only way I would be for never Trump, because otherwise, the way I see it is that, you know, you could be against the Republican Party or against the system or against whatever and think it's all rotten. But, you know, and you could vote for Johnson or you can stay at home, whatever you feel is, is best or whatever is best for your conscience. But at the end of the day, uh, Hillary's going to win if, if, if enough people do that. And there is no burning it down. It's just going to go on without you. And she's going to be the president. And even if she wins by one electoral vote, even if she barely gets it by the skin of her teeth, I mean, she's going to consider it a mandate because you had eight years of Obama, and she's right, going to say right, right. what? She she's going to consider it a mandate anyway. But I don't think that the politicians who are going to have to pass her legislation will consider it a mandate in that case, right? Well, but see, the thing is that I have no faith in this Republican Party because you know it's like today. You know, I see this article that the the Republican Senate appropriated more money in their appropriations bill than Obama had requested. Right, right. I, t I talked okay. about that earlier. I talked about that earlier. And, and, and so my, the way that I integrate that piece of information is to say that we need to do other things to make her not feel like she has a mandate or to communicate that she doesn't have a mandate. And one of those would be to vote for Gary Johnson, um, that you could maybe communicate some valuable information to these politicians by voting for Gary Johnson versus Trump. Uh, you see, I'm I'm gonna dis have to disagree with you. Because That's fine. That's no, I, I just, just totally I fine. Know it's I'm, fine. I'm, I know, I'm still I'm just kind of I mean, throwing this around out there. Yeah, I know. It's just because the thing is that these politicians aren't going to look at Johnson votes and see it as anything. They're they're going to be happy just to just have won their own seats and to have maintained their their you know their governorships and their senate seats and everything else and the other problem i have with this election is that you know bosch speaking about the truth earlier you know one of the biggest lies about this election is that this is an anti-establishment revolution you know the, the republicans are now you know a hundred percent for re maintaining their seats in congress and in the Senate, nobody's been primaried out. Nobody's been kicked out. All the people with the name ID have, have been kept in uh, term after term after term. And Trump won not because he's a big anti-establishment, you know, uh, uh, bull revolutionary. 
he won because he had $2 billion in free media coverage and a bunch of name ID and celebrity before he even got in the race. Yes. Um, yes. And, and so I think also one of the biggest things we need to do in order to win in the future would be to move everything into a convention because Ted Cruz won overwhelmingly in conventions. And the people who show up to conventions are the people who are in the fight, who know what's going on, who aren't ignorant, uh, like, right. like many of the people who have nominated Trump. And they're the people who voted for Ted Cruz and who, vote, who have voted in these great people like Mike Lee. Mike Lee won his Senate seat in a convention in Utah. Okay. And so what we need to do is I, I think the biggest thing for the future, just to finish on this, is to try to get the Republican Party to move every seat and every future presidential primary uh, into a convention setting as much as we possibly can. And then you get the higher quality candidate. Yeah, because the people who show up to conventions are the ones who are actually in the fight and who actually know what's going on. And you said your name is Dennis? No, Charles. Charles. Oh, God, I'm so sorry, Charles. We've been talking about this so long. I forgot. Okay, so Charles, thank you, because as I recall, you're a first-time caller, right? Yes. Yes, I I thank you for calling the show and um, look forward to talking to you as this election season goes on. Um, the only one thing I'll, I'll say, it, it's more fair to give your caller the last word, but I was going to uh, say a couple things that Stuart here in the chat room is posting. He said that Trump is a speeding car with no one at the steering wheel, and he says it's tempting to think you can leap into the driver's seat and steer, but it won't happen. And I agree, you, you know, in, in that sense that you don't really know what you're going to get with Trump. Um in any event, we should probably leave that concrete issue because there was a couple more things I wanted to say uh, at the abstract level, and then I'm going to have to run quickly through program notes in a really lame way. I, I love all the calls that I've been getting here today, so thanks, everyone, for calling and giving me such valuable input on, on today's show. I am hoping that when I do need to shift over to the Saturday night, which I'm anticipating and, and actually wanting to be in the situation where I'm going to have to do that, um, that when I do, all of you guys will follow with me and call me on Saturday night, right, on your Saturday night. But we'll see how that goes. Um, so the things that I've been thinking about, you know, the considerations have been coming out during the course of the phone calls. One is, you know, um, why are these people ignorant if you're going to cater to them? Are they ignorant through no fault of their own? Of course, if they're ignorant through no fault of their own or, you know, the refinement that Debbie gave us, the the idea that they are not militantly ignorant there, as I you know, formulated it self-righteously ignorant, then it's going to, you're going to be, you know, more willing to cater to their ignorance and it's going to be worthwhile to cater to their ignorance. Um, Are these people of value to you, the people who are going to, you know, be misled by those who are going to do the misattribution, say that's capitalism. Uh, Are the people or the actions that they take as a result of their ignorance a threat to your values, right? And then, um, as I said, the other consideration I thought of was, you know, what are the consequences of the accommodation? Would the accommodation that you're looking for be a sacrifice in the current context? Um, that experience of voting for Hillary in that booth, oh, just just on that level of, you know, imagining sitting there actually voting for Hillary Clinton, I don't think I could do it. I, you know, I have this luxury, because I'm in California, right, that it doesn't really matter who I vote for. I'm sure Hillary's going to win California anyway. So, um, you know, it, it, it's 
it's just academic in a way for me, but even if I was in a swing state, I just don't know if I could handle that experience. Also, what are the practical consequences of a Hillary presidency? And, and I talked about a lot of those last week. So I think it may indeed be a, uh, a sacrifice. There's one other kind of context in which I was thinking about this issue of, you know, how far do you go in accommodating another's ignorance? And it'd be on the interpersonal level, right, on the issue of friendships and relationships. And um, the I started thinking about the issue because I have one friend who's a psychologist, and I started thinking about people who are psychologists and the fact that they can point to everybody around them partners, friends, whoever, and go, oh, yeah, you know, that's OCD or this is, uh, you know, codependence or that is, you know, that neurosis or this, right? So how basically alone that that person would feel or that it's hard to relate to people who don't have the level of sophistication that they do in these relationships, right? And so that's another level on which you could take this. You'd say, okay, well, you know, again, think about it. You know, why is the person that you're having a friendship or partnership with or whatever, what, you know, why are they ignorant? What are they ignorant about? Is it through no fault of their own? Um, that's going to lead you to the issue of whether you're going to make the accommodation. Are the people of value to you? Uh, are the actions that they're taking as a result of their ignorance a threat to your values? And in, in the interpersonal situation, the answer can often be yes to, to both of those. Um, what are the consequences of the accommodation? Would the accommodation be a sacrifice in certain, you know, sets? If, it, if it's going to be hell for you versus hell for them, you might as well make it hell for them or purgatory or whatever. So those are things to, you know, kind of think about with respect to that question as well. And that, like I said, rattling around in my brain, I don't have a lot of time to explore about it anymore here but you can take the conversation on this issue over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to explore that side of it further. Again, it's not an exact analogy to the Trump versus Hillary and the Islam thing, but it's something that was rattling around in my brain. Um, okay, so going back to the program notes, I just wanted to, I guess, do a fairly quick rundown because there's so many stories over there. I talked a little bit about the the anniversary of Garland, and, and I do refer you to your own excellent show. It's excellent every week, but I heard that it's particularly good this week on the anniversary of, of Garland. Um, one story that came across my Facebook feed, thanks to Sunny Lohman, is that the Obama administration has issued guidelines to ensure, this is back to the bathroom stuff, that trans students receive appropriate treatment in with respect to bathrooms and stuff, right? So it's going to be Obama telling all of the schools what they should do with respect to the restrooms. And this is just another reason why we do need to get government out of education completely. Uh, but whenever government is trying to tell people how they should have to solve this problem, it is wrong. It's government initiating force saying that we're going to impose a particular solution. And what are they doing? They're imposing a solution that may pose a real risk to innocent children, particularly innocent female children. And they're doing this in order to accommodate the feelings of transsexual students who are a very small minority. And again, are they entitled to have their feelings accommodated at the expense of the safety of the little girl? So check out 
that. I've got the link at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. There's this story about Facebook that uh, it potentially has manipulated the trending topics in a way that's anti-conservative or just basically uh, anything that isn't pro-leftist, right? Uh, Not necessarily anti-conservative, but anti-anything that's not leftist. Uh, Facebook is insisting that they have not so manipulated the trending topics. The kind of angle that's something to be considered on this is should the Senate be conducting a probe about this per se, or should we allow the existing laws of, for example, fraud to take care of this, right? Because if Facebook puts out something there and says, these are the trending topics, then the representation that Facebook is making to you is that these are the popular topics that people are actually discussing. If Facebook is manipulating that and they're taking something that isn't really a trending topic and they're putting it in there in order to make it trend a certain way, then that is fraud. We have laws to handle fraud. And the thing that makes many freedom lovers like me uncomfortable about the Senate stepping in and doing some special probe and all this kind of stuff instead of going through the normal channels, you know, criminal justice channels, for example, or or civil justice uh, for fraud. Um, It makes you uncomfortable because Facebook is a private company delivering content. And when government starts to put pressure on a private company delivering content, then First Amendment issues arise. Does Facebook have the you know first amendment rights freedom of expression that all of us do and and the answer is i believe yes it does the mere fact that it is a big corporation with a lot of influence doesn't mean it has no rights to freedom of expression so you know so long as there's not misrepresentation then facebook actually should be free you know these are (laughs) go ahead and put it there topics you should be interested in according to mark zuckerberg you know fine um, I ha- they have the total right to do that, in my opinion. Now, we want to maybe boycott them. We can let the free market handle it. We say, okay, you know, give us another alternative social media that doesn't do this garbage if, if they are indeed you know, pushing the trending topics. But otherwise, just let the legal system, the existing legal system and the laws on the books concerning fraud, let that handle it. Don't make some big old show trial in the Senate to intimidate Facebook to cater to conservatives versus liberals, right? Uh, oh, cool. Tim in the chat room, he had to leave, but he says, party music, my love is my disease, the Jezebels. Yeah, I should have put that actually in the program notes this week, Tim. I might add it in there. Um, oh, and, and there, I've got more Jezebels fans in the, in the chat room as well. I'm glad I've turned people on the Jezebels. I have, of course, Sylvia Turkman, the great agility trainer, to thank for learning about the Jezebels, but now that I can return the favor and, and turn so many more people onto them, that, that's awesome. Uh, I might actually play a Jezebel song as I exit if I if I finish in time here. So again, you know, um, I got the Facebook story, the guidelines about the bathrooms. We've got the Draw Muhammad contest anniversary. Uh, just to follow up, if people are interested, there was a search warrant this week that was executed for Prince's medical records. It identifies the doctor who treated him. So there may have been some misprescribing and things going on. I think this is the kind of thing that they're getting at. We don't know all the details yet. I also did see a headline, but it was too late for me to throw it in the notes, that 
the DEA is doing a search of Paisley Park. The DEA. So this is maybe going to be a bit excessive. I don't know. I'm interested myself in hearing the whole story uh, about what happened with Prince because I do think it was tragic. I'm not going to say the word pathetic. I guess Gene Simmons says it was pathetic. Let's hear the full story before we talk about pathetic versus tragic. Um, The good news from Gene Walsh, thanks for sending me this this week, it's that a judge has ruled in favor of Republicans in Obamacare challenge. There has been a, a challenge to a particular provision in Obamacare that says that the government's going to reimburse for a certain aspect of the fairy tale that is Obamacare, right? And it doesn't make any provisions for it in the legislation. And, you know, whenever there is going to be an appropriation, some spending, Congress has to approve that, and it wasn't done the proper way in Obamacare. So there is another way to take a chink in the armor, so to speak. I do fear that because we're not going to have Ted Cruz, or maybe we're not going to have Ted Cruz, maybe there's still a way to have Ted Cruz. Some people think that there is. But if we're not going to have Ted Cruz or somebody who promises to repeal this, it's just going to get further entrenched. It's going to be harder and harder to uh, to get rid of. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see these challenges succeed, and maybe there's a little part of Obamacare that you can defeat, but we need as soon as possible, for example, to get rid of the Medicaid expansion. The Medicaid expansion is putting hundreds of thousands, maybe millions more, onto a single-payer system, which is Medicaid, and it's through Obamacare. So don't discount the you know, slippery slope that is all, you know, we're already way down on it in part due to, to that. So this, this is good news. I'm glad to see it, but we need to do so much more in order to uproot this cancer. There's a mixed metaphor for the day for you. Uproot this cancer. Um, speaking of medical stuff, there's another interesting piece of news. It's good in the sense of technological advancement. It's a little eerie in, in the sense if you start thinking about things that have happened in, in literature, in particular, I'm thinking of Ayn Rand's anthem. Uh, the headline is, scientists hold secret meeting to consider a uh, consider creating a synthetic human genome. And the idea is that they can create a human genome that they can implant into an embryo. And then you have a child who has literally no parent at all because it's completely synthetic. So talk about, you know, in, in Anthem, if you read Ayn Rand's Anthem, there's a totalitarian society. And one of the aspects of it, I'm not really giving any uh, spoilers away, I don't think, is is the idea that kids should be taken away from their parents at birth and then everybody kind of educated together in these schoolrooms and stuff and, you know, big uh, dorms, so to speak, where there's a hundred beds in one room and all of this. So imagine even more, you know, the, the detachment that would happen if there is no actual connection to any real living, living human being, right? You don't even have the idea that these people have parents out there that they care about. There's there's not even that connection. Anyway, is it ominous? Is it good? In in ways, it's good, right? The the benefit of this is that you could eradicate disease by having a completely synthetic human genome. You could have tons of beautiful people, not necessarily homogeneous, right? They could all look like a bunch of different things, but you know all the little quirks and stuff. Now maybe you'd say, okay, this is horrible, but we could debate this a, a, another day. 
Um, Redmond MTV in the chat room says, in which dorm room would the trans children reside? <laughs> Maybe there would be no trans children, right, if you have the synthetic, synthetic uh, human genome because everybody would be comfortable in their own skin, so to speak. So um, I've just gone through the program notes. That's what I had for today. I thank everyone for listening. I thank all of the awesome callers for calling in and contributing. Those of you who have been giving me some good stuff in the chat room as well, thank you for being here, uh, particularly because I've been changing the schedule back and forth a lot lately. So I'll try to fix that next week. Let me see if I can figure out how to effectively leave you with a little bit of music here. I'm going to give you, I think, Jezebel's. I mean, of course, it's got it's got to be Jezebel's, right? It's got to be the Jezebel's. I think I will give you Deep Wide Ocean. Um, pulling it up as we speak and turning up some volume. And here we go. Have a good weekend, everyone. <laughs> 